I would joke like cat food in the morning, HMOs in the afternoon. I'm solving, I'm like, I'm really like immersing myself in these business models that were so interesting and unique. And also like my curiosity of like, not just how their businesses were run, but how their cultures. So I actually looked up the weather report today in Minnesota, and I, and clearly yeah. this is a tell that you know we don't just release the episodes on the day, but it's 79 degrees there, and so yet yeah, yeah. I'm totally about to hate on your weather because I I think it's according to the Google machine it snows yeah. every month in Minnesota, but July it's 110 days a year, but your job is to kind of keep it sunny. In, yeah. In, in the company that you're in, and I don't want to steal your thunder in any way. Yeah. So maybe maybe you could start by sort of sharing how does someone who goes to school in Florida and then does some work in the D.C. area end up in 110 days of snow a year? Yeah, no, it's a fascinating tale. And I don't even know if you know before Florida, I was born on the equator. So I was born in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Grew up in Singapore, went to Florida. I have just progressively moved north. I think eventually I'm going to be in Canada. I, I did see a job posting from Santa at the North Pole. Uh, oh, yeah. Director could, of engagement. Is that interesting? I mean, geez, marketing for Santa would be fabulous. That's a whole nother episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so no, I, I don't know exactly. I can tell you how the steps that occurred to how I got here. I would never have said to you as a child that I would be living in the northern tundra that is Minnesota. But I will tell you, for the for, again, going back to my marketing roots, I commonly say that the, the weather in Minnesota is the bouncer to the best club in town. People do not want to come here <laughs> because they are so terrified. Of, of the weather and the snow, and it is a delightful place to be, even when it's zero degrees outside. Well, look, I, 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 obviously, I mean, you've been, so you've been, you're, you're closing in on a decade at General Mills. Yeah. Um, I love how we met, um, I'd say about, gosh, maybe five, seven, I lose track of time with pandemics. Um, yeah. Had the opportunity to, to bring you west to speak at, I think it was Collide with Tomorrow, which was the formerly known as Interactive Day here in Southern California. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, just like the second I met you, I was like, yes, like everything about you. She's curious. She wants to make the, the audience smarter, good stories. And look, this is what you get paid to do. So I'm not surprised by that. But maybe you could just sort of share like what keeps you yeah. at General Mills. I, and officially, I think your title now is Director of Brand Experience. Curious right, to hear, yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, no, totally. and let, let me also answer your question and kind of go back. So my whole value system and structure, and I think why I ended up in this job is, as far as like my path here, really started from those equator roots. Of, I, I was there till I was 10 and I was so deprived of pop culture. I was just like craving whatever would come across the TV that week to say like, oh my gosh, we've got a Smurfs episode, people. Let's let's soak in the Smurfs, you know, like, because it was very random and very inconsistent. And I was just a kid who wanted American culture desperately. My sisters grew up here. They they had it. They were older than me. I didn't, I never had it. I got it in like glimpses. And so you actually like track my career 
and uh, we moved to Florida, went to the University of Florida, I started at Cartoon Network, which was really like, I don't know, serendipity of the universe to say like, oh my gosh, this kid who was so insane about understanding where these cultural phenomena came from and like how like an entire nation and culture, even in other countries were captivated by the premise of entertainment and fun, creative fun. Um, that I ended up there and that was like the first start of my career. All right, I'm curious, you said, so you, you said siblings and you're the, are you the youngest? I'm the youngest, yes. Of how many? Three, two older sisters. See, I think there's something to this too. And I wish you, yeah. you're like the perfect person to do a study on this. Cause like, this is what you do, but I'm the youngest. My brother's four and a half years older. My babysitters growing up were the television and a soccer ball. Totally. Me too. And I think by the time I showed up, my parents were tired. They still yeah. parented, but it was kind of like the watered down version of yeah, parenting. For sure. So yeah. don't you find it fascinating? You kind of could watch your sisters and observe what they do. And I could watch my brother. And when my parents yelled at my brother, I'd be like, oh, okay, don't do that. Don't go out that side window if you're going to yeah. sneak oh. out. And like, for here sure. we are years later as observationalists. Do you like, have you thought about that before? Well, no, absolutely. I mean, I was the youngest kid and, and it it was a, a, a very much a household where like your voice mattered. It wasn't like, you know, children should be, should be seen and not heard, but I just was uh, young. So I was soaking everything in like, cause I didn't fully understand what was happening. So even at like the dinner table, there'd be like discussions. My sisters are quite older. They're seven and 10 years older. And they would be talking about politics. Or, and I was like, uh, I'm six. Like, I don't know. <laughs> what's yeah, you, happening here. So you, you grew up fast. Yeah. So the premise of like just sitting back and, and soaking in and observing all the, the happenings um, with, with a little bit less attention and scrutiny from the parental roles was absolutely something that shaped and formed me in, in a good way. My mom will always say like, you are so much more capable than my other kids because you were sort of left to be that way and you kind of were watching and observing how to act versus being told you know the real test now now is like am i going to get a call from you saying ryan can you cut out that piece where you uh, we're going to out mom we're going to out mom on the episode I fully wear uh, I'm mom's favorite T-shirts around my sisters, so totally. All right, so we're at Cartoon Network, and we're working our yes. way up towards colder climates. Yes, exactly. So we we make our way to Hotlanta, and when we're in Hotlanta, the biggest thing that happens is we kind of get soaked. We're soaking up creativity. I mean, the Cartoon Network was at that point Adult Swim had just launched, and I think when I think about what happened with Adult Swim. At that time, do you remember this was like when the black and white came out and the whole premise of like your TV is talking to you, you know, that really opened my eyes to this idea of like, just try, just come up with ideas and think about it and and see what what happens. Right. Um, And that that environment was really conducive to kind of my whole growing up. It was always just try, just play, just have a just see what happens. And that that was the environment that I was thrust into really early in my career. And when I think when you're in that play mindset with a creative product, like, hey, I'm making TV shows or I'm making content in that way, you, you it's so fun to see what happens. And they really encourage that. So that was that was Atlanta. And then the DC thing came in, thought I would stay in television forever to kind of like 
really continue to hone how to drive people to watch really interesting things and kind of uncover their curiosity, which is also like a core value of mine of like asking questions and, and learning in a fun way. So. Yeah, always, I'm not surprised by that. The whole stay curious. All right. So how and then keep. So now how many years? Yeah, so so this is probably like, gosh, 10, you know, 10 years or so into my career. And then agency land came a calling. And that was really the, the business part. That was like, all right, we're, you know, the fun is kind of over. We're getting into business. I became a, an account planner, a strategist, very, uh, I think, kind of devoted to like helping my clients solve their business problems, which was so the things that I would say about that time was like the variety of what I got to work on. I, I would joke like cat food in the morning, HMOs in the afternoon. I'm solving, like, I'm really like immersing myself in these business models that were so interesting and unique. And also like my curiosity of like, not just how their businesses were run, but how their cultures, you know, you would get immersed in these organizations, these huge fortune 500s and kind of get to observe how they conducted themselves, how they inspired their teams, how they inspired us in the agency world. So that was a really, um, I, I joke, like I, I didn't end up going to get my MBA, but I feel like that time of my career was like crash course MBA experience. Um, so that was in Chicago. And then General Mills came calling and, and it was sort of like creative and business. All right. This is like this collision uh, for me of, you know, help us grow our business through creative thought and building experiences for people um, that make their lives better. And that was that was it. I was sold. I've been there for nine years now. When you join the team, I, I mean, as much as I'm sure you'd love to jump in and direct our brand experience, although I'm not so totally sure I know like how you guys define that. Did you just come into like a strategy group? Were you a planner? No. So I, I had been a planner at the agency before, but I actually came in um, what they, they called at the time digital marketing. Now, what was interesting about it as I reflect on that role is it it was digital and there was like a very bend to like, you got to understand the technical part of the, of the digital experience, but it was much more holistic. And I, cause I think the bar in, a, in crafting a digital experience is so high. It's like, how are you showing up in a way that's worth me engaging with you and spending my time with you? And so it was really tied to like brand purpose and kind of why, why are you here? Like, yes, you're here to make cereal or whatever, but like, help me understand the business that you're really in and how that's expressed digitally. So that holistic approach was very um, kind of right up my alley and helped me kind of also start to set a new era at General Mills of like, we don't just make things. We, we truly make experiences beyond the things, which was great. Right, can you kind of give an overview of the portfolio just in case someone did zero research on General Mills? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so General Mills, you know, I think it is absolutely a North American company in the sense of like, that's the bulk of our portfolio, but it's, it's actually across the globe. Um, and if you look at the portfolio, it's super diverse. So we have, obviously everyone knows our cereal. That's like kind of the heart and soul of the company. Um, we also have yogurt and snacks uh, and Pillsbury meals and baking. So think about from a snacks perspective, you got Nature Valley, Lara Bar, Gushers, fruit snacks. Then you, from a meals and baking standpoint, you have Pillsbury and Annie's and Betty Crocker. And you have all these iconic brands that exist 
um, in, in this market and then in other markets. And then we also just acquired Blue Buffalo not too long ago. So we have pet food. So we serve people and their pets, which is amazing. Um, and then, you know, internationally, there's a huge diversity of brands that kind of fall. We have Wong Chai Ferry in, in China. haagen is actually, we don't, we don't manage it in the U.S., but we manage that brand elsewhere. So we span the gamut of uh, food for people and pets, which is cool. I, I just like when I look at the portfolio brands as a creative and like I grew up, all of my mentors were, were mad men, you know, and yeah, I, totally. Just, you know, you just can't help but being like, oh, wow. Like I, I wish I had a time machine and I could be there in like the sixties or whatever, like the jolly green giant or the, these these great state puff marshmallow man for, uh, Pillsbury doy boy, obviously, but for like uh, ghostbusters, like to be there for that moment and to hear that deal. And what did it do for the business? I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall for that. Absolutely. And I, I feel like the, I, I get so, I feel so privileged to benefit from like the iconography and the, the aura that was established at that time of like these icons, the doughboy, the icon, lucky, the leprechaun and, and the stories, you know, we always talk about how no matter what you're doing, we are wired for story. I don't care if you're explaining physics, (laughs) like you, you have to put that in the context of a story for a human and the stories that I think were created around these products just elevated them to another level in our society, which I um, love and appreciate and do not take lightly as a steward of them now. Well, I'm curious if that, does that land everywhere in your organization? You know, it's not, if I'm like one inch away from making product, you know, and my whole job is like, you're basically in, you're in R and D. Like, do they, can they extract themselves out? Cause I, adore that line that we're all wired for story and yeah are they wired for story do they get that they, they do get it but I, I actually think that's a huge part of my job um is reminding people sometimes it's it's this premise of um okay i'll give you an example on lucky charms we were working out the we were looking at the purpose and working out and it's always had a very strong purpose um as you can tell just by the way the brand has been expressed but People kept talking about it in R&D with this premise of like magic being um, kind of a vehicle or, or something we leveraged, right? Like oh, we leverage the idea of magic. And I think one of the things I remember my team and I said was like, no, this brand believes magic is real. Like we need to start actually believing that ourselves to be inspired. So if I'm in R&D and I'm trying to think of like, what's the next marshmallow? When you channel that through the lens of like, I am telling a story about a leprechaun who, where magic is real, what would you do? And when you start to let yourself kind of live in that space and not feel like you're a business person talking about magic, then it, the, the cuffs are off. Like it completely unlocks much better ideas and much better, I think, narrative across the board. That's, that's true for Lucky, that's true for Wheaties, that's true for Cheerios, that's true for any brand. Pillsbury, it, it, you kind of have to let yourself go into that space to tell the story of the brand, in my opinion. I mean, so is this a possible definition of the director of brand experience that you're kind of like the OG telephone operator and you're like trying to make sure that everybody that. is connected and understands the, sure. the mission of the story? Is that the job? 
For sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I have really incredible business counterparts who are looking at like, how is all of this making money and <laughs> making sure like the business is growing. And I think the thread that the, the needle that I thread is really about, okay, yes, we have to grow the business, but we will do that in a way that delights people at every touch point. And we talk a lot about solving problems and delivering joy in every interaction with our brands. And that those problems look different. Like I need to make dinner tonight is very different than I wish I could take my kids to Disneyland or Six Flags, but I can't afford it, but I can bring home a box of, of Lucky Charms, which kind of has that aura. But the idea of ensuring that that level of standard of story and creativity is kind of held um, is absolutely a critical, intangible part of, of my job, for sure. So I think we're about to embark on what I would say is the courageous part of the conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, you said something earlier about, like, you did agency life, you've now moved, you've been, you know, at General Mills for almost a decade. Tons of MBAers that you're surrounded mm -hmm. by, obviously MBA, Master of Business yeah. Administration. But like the world that I felt that came up in the ranks of advertising, I almost wore it as a badge. Like I was not an MBA. I felt like I was a, I was an yeah. MSA. I was an MSA. Like I was a master of scrapping yeah. association. And there's, totally. there's a, there's a scrap that comes from that world. And I wonder, like, what is the scrap level that you're seeing? Or maybe, like, the safer way I'm giving you. Yeah. Name. What are the pros and cons of both life and agency and life at a big brand, big company like General Mills? And do you find yourself trying to nudge? I mean, I don't want to hate. I don't want to vilify MBA, the MBA. Huh. But, like, do they understand that world, really? Um. I think the thing that I would describe it as is like academic versus intuitive and intuition in my mind always wins. And so that's probably, I would say the MBA's uh, mindset is much more check the box, academic. Am I following the philosophy versus the step back and say, does, does this matter? Like, is this interesting? Does anyone care? Is anyone feeling feelings about this, like good feelings? I think that's the difference. And so it's it's hard though, because I think so much of an um, an MBA track is like the A student, did I check the box? Did I, did I hit the standard that was expected of me on this journey versus, but was it any good, right? Like is sort of the question. And I think agency life, at least for me, kind of, I learned and got to see a ton of the academic. I feel like I got immersed in that, but agency is about output. It's the work, the work, the work. So like, was the work good at the end of the day? I don't care what your strategy was. Like, was the output good? And that, that to me has been like, like kind of branded on me in a way um, that I think General Mills needs. And I'm, that's why I, I like to be there to like say, but like, yeah, this follows the strategy, but like, does anyone want to care? You know, I mean, there's so. look again, I don't want to knock the MBA or right, but I big brain thinking, schooling, mm -hmm. it's got, there's tons of pros of like keeping the eyes on the prize high level. But yeah, I do think it gets knocked. It's like MBA is kind of the, the red tape and the MSA is the duct tape. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I feel like MacGyver constantly like, OK, the budget's this. We have to do what? Yeah. By when? OK, let's figure out a way to to do this. Totally. Yeah. In a way, 
honestly, it's like with our powers combined, like wonder twins activate though. Cause when you have both mindsets and you respect each other's roles, it absolutely like, you know, the certainty that an MBA might want and like, is this gonna work? And then the <laughs> less certainty of like, you know, I don't know. And I'm okay with that. But I, I, you know, our intuition is telling me that like, this is people will care. It's, it's kind of a nice um, dynamic. I would say sometimes it, it, it can get weird if it gets out of balance actually. So you kind of want both voices at the table. That little nuance, will this work? And I don't know is I think I always knew if I was presenting creative in a room and the client would get up and start pacing and you could feel the sweaty palms. I'm like, that's, this is the one we want. Yeah, and for I, sure. And I don't know, I don't know if we could pull it off, it, but this is the one we, we want. We once did this work for uh, Advent Star, it was international motorcycle shows. Um, in order for us to like sell the work, we literally had to bend yoga gurus and contortionists into, we made a human motorcycle into uh-huh. a bike they were in white spandex it looked like a dove ad and the client's like is this a dove ad like we're a motorcycle enthusiast do you think you could pull this off by body painting i'm yeah. like i'm like i honestly don't know but i also think this is the right thing for the the brand and we did totally. it right. and the return on courage for that was was through the roof but it did take to your point like the checks and balances of them keeping us honest and us being vulnerable yeah. to go I, I don't know, but it's the courageous move for you. Do you find yourself when you're in, and again, I don't know how much, what percent of your time is now like culture and inside versus the work and the outside? Um, you know, I would say it's really 50-50. Like I think the premise of building a culture allows the outside to thrive, right? So it's sort of like the work to thrive. So it really is 50-50, but you also have to push the standards of the outside work and like, this is good, this is not good, you know? So I think it's it's really 50-50. But I think that point you said about like, the I don't know, I, I mean, I, I say to my team all the time, like embrace the uncertainty. The uncertainty is where the magic is. Like, I don't, I don't know, because if you, if you, when you know, that means it's probably familiar and it's been done and it's been seen and people, and the, the unfamiliar is where I get excited, not, not in a reckless way, but in a, oh, I think we're onto something that is going to be more innovative and actually maybe help more people to do this. Right. So I think there's like, for me, the uncertainty is where I get excited. If I am, I have to have some level of fear when I'm making something, because I think that's the only times I really feel like I make good stuff is if I'm like, okay, how's this gonna go? So. That's, but that's good that you have the awareness to know, like that's a that's a barometer you want. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I feel that. You know, it's it reminds me of a conversation I had with Loretta Hidalgo, who's an astronaut, founding astronaut at Virgin Galactic. And she, that's how she describes fear. She's like, fear is not trying to hurt me. It's just a data point. Yeah. And she's like, thank yeah. you, fear. Thank you, bit of informa- information for reminding absolutely. me that I'm alive and that I should be doing this uncomfortable thing. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think um, the, the, the thank you and like the gratitude for fear is, is actually such a good way to think about it because I think when I, when I was younger and I would be scared, like 
I was I was very low risk, high anxiety, which is such a toxic combination because you're like, you're not even trying anything. What are you so anxious about? And I think as I've gotten more advanced in and kind of advanced in my career, it's, it is like, no, the, the fear is good. Embrace the fear. Like, because I think, that, again, like you're onto something when you have a little bit of that uh, fear in your stomach. Not, not overwhelming, but a little so, bit. So I'm curious, this 50-50 split that you have for inside and outside. On, on the inside, when you're working at a BMF like you are, does, I don't know, the... I guess the convention, I don't know, I feel like my first place that I would go is the bigger you get, the harder it is to stay a courageous culture. And I'm curious yeah. to hear if you feel that or, and then so if that is so, is that how you feel? Is it, is it the bigger it gets, it's hard to keep? So it's funny, I would say fair as a collective, like if you were to look at it across the board, you'd be like, well, collectively, I don't know how courageous a huge corporate culture is, but I think where I find the excitement is you find the pockets of courage, like, and because in a way, I don't actually think it is right for an institution like General Mills to constantly be disrupting everything. <laughs> like there, are, the, the reason it works in a way is because we sort of have all these very familiar uh, safety approaches and things like, okay, cool, that's stable. But I think it's like finding the pockets of courage. And, and I don't think that is hard. I think you can find um, and encourage and provoke the big, uh, they, they end up, they end up starting small, but they end up being big um, acts of courage. And the thing I will tell you, which is so crazy about General Mills is when these brands have so much soul, like Cheerios has so much soul. It's, a, it's one of the biggest brands in the company, but it it will take the most risks because it's so convicted as to we know what we stand for. We, you know, and that allows us, I think, to say we know what the right thing to do is. Um, I think it's the when you don't know what you stand for and who you are, that it's harder to take the risk because it feels disingenuous or it doesn't feel like the right move. But when you know who you are, you can take the risks. And that's those are big risks on big brands. I love the concept of it's conviction that matters. And it's the mm -hmm. conviction, you know, maybe that's the other data point, fear and conviction, right? Like mm -hmm. if you, if you like, let's not lie to ourselves, you know, which brands are, have passion and conviction and it mirrors absolutely the the audiences that love their stuff and if we just sort of stay laser focused on hey is this going to help us build conviction or is uh -huh. this going to take away from it is is that like oh we happen to call that courage by the way but really it's just keep pushing because that's what the audience demands and shame on us if we don't keep pushing is so yeah cheerios is one of those brands what, what else would you say is, is doing it right well um you know it's funny i Cheerios, I think, um, I'll, I'll elaborate on that and I'll give you then another example, but like Cheerios, it, at the state of our society right now, the Cheerios values are being um, almost revealed even more extremely, right? Like the premise of like love and your family, like Cheerios represents a mother's love and like, you know, being on the right side of history is something I think Cheerios can like clearly say because we're rooted in like human connection and love. And so we've done a ton of work 
um, that I think, you know, we always talk about nourishing kids physically. Yep. We also nourish them emotionally and that's like needed more than ever. So I, I mean, I think Cheerios, like you can find that conviction just so clearly because of all these like really negative and anti our values forces that exist. Um, what's funny is like, I think Pillsbury is an example of that. There's a ton of emotion in Pillsbury for sure, but the practicality of like, I need an easy shortcut for dinner that I know my kids will actually eat. And the conviction of like, I'm going to make this so simple for you, but still like, you know, there's a little bit of homemade, like you're kind of pulling it together with the crescent roll. And, you know, the, the conviction that I see that exists with that brand, totally different than Cheerios, but like so needed. And the way they innovate against that brand, not just through products, but through new recipes and helping people kind of get dinner on the table to me is another way, like their conviction is so clear as to what they do for people. So I'm going to give you the ask up front and then I'll chat a little bit because it's not a, it may not be a fair question. So, I mean, being in the strategy space, I'm sure you've got access to data or quote, or like statistics that may so further forward this part of the conversation. Look, purpose is, not going away anytime soon. I'm sure every brand purpose is like the word du jour and we know why, right? Um, even your point on like now more than ever with everything that's going on specifically mm-hmm. in America. Yeah. We, we as consumers, I think I read somewhere it was like 67% of us, two thirds. This is the last number I saw wanted brands to take a stand and be overt about it. Like, sure. There wasn't like an outside persona and then behind the curtain persona. It's just one organic persona. So how often, like now in your job, how much are you sort of reminding or responsible for helping teams even come up with the, their purpose, remind them of the importance that it's, it's not just the, the product, it's, it's what's behind it, it's that passion and conviction. And is there any like new statistics that you could share that you it's like yeah this isn't going away guys like this is going to be around for a while yeah no it's um it i think it's going to be around for a while i i think it is changing though and it it's it's changing for the good in my opinion but so um I'm gonna, I'll, I'll try to think of some statistics to reinforce as i think about like our consumers but the the, the way that it's changing for me is that it is not purpose as it relates to cause. And I, I think that's been talked about a ton. I think it is absolutely what business are you really in? So I'll go back to Cheerios. Cheerios is clearly in the business and they want to change the trajectory of heart health now in America. Now, heart health is a very can be interpreted very physical. We, you know, when you eat a bowl of Cheerios, you are helping uh, lower, potentially lower cholesterol as part of a heart healthy diet. Yep, that's true. That is the food. That is like what the food does, attribute to benefit. Like I could walk up the ladder. But the premise of the heart health of America is so figurative and so intangible too. Like in the sense of like, when I talk about nourishing kids emotionally, what are we actually doing to create generation good who loves and cares for their fellow man? You know, that is a huge part of purpose, but I would never consider that for a brand that I didn't feel like intrinsically that's what they did through their food. I could find that connection, right? So it's like that joke of uh, like, should my favorite cracker be talking about racial injustice? Like, 
I don't know. I, I don't know the connection, right? Like I, I can't see the connection. So I think that's where purpose is changing is, you know, understanding the business that you're in both at the lower level of the food or the product that you're making, but then also at the higher level of what you do in society. Right. But I could see like as a creative, I get excited about like, first of all, super clear, right? Like six words for Cheerios change yeah. the trajectory of heart health. Like no yes. matter what part of the business I'm right. on, that's clear. I always say you can't see a North star on a cloudy night, right? Like you just right, it's right. super clear. But if it's about heart health, it's not just about what the product does. Like that means I should be making investments. How do you help kids think with their heart? Yeah, exactly. Like how does, how does heart health start at age five? Like, like, and that could be both physical, right? Like um, the experience of eating oats and running with the energy from oats and, you know, all that. But that's also like, how are you treating your friend or your non-friend? Like, how are you actually helping um, kind of emo emotional heart and the America's heart? So, you know, you could take this one. I, I kind of want to hear outside of the brands you have in work. Like, is there a purpose in that does matter to you more than others right now. It's kind of like, like we said, it's a bonkers world. Is there something that just is like, it's just, you can't stop thinking about it. Um, for a brand for specifically. Well, it could be for a brand, but I just like in general, like, like for you, is there something? That's yeah. Oh, I mean, if you were to, if you were to talk to me about like, okay, why am I in this business? Like I am truly in this business to make, people's lives better. And that sounds so like, uh, shallow, like marketer trying to justify their shallow profession. But I truly believe that our institutions, like our kind of familiar institutions, you know, public sector are failing us and that the private sector has to step in and start to say, you know, okay, the planet, what are we doing to help the planet? It's, it's the premise of new capitalism, essentially of like, the private sector absolutely can step in and change the way that we grow food, the way that we process things for a better environment. Um, when I think about communities and I think about like, where where am I investing to actually uh, kind of help people's lives be better, whether that's like families or um, kind of older people, like those are the people that I feel like our businesses can step in and serve, not just in the day to day, because we're wonderful, nutritious food that makes their lives better that way, but also on that higher level to help communities. So when I think about our partnership with No Kid Hungry and as a General Mills, we are saying it is absolutely absurd that not every kid in America isn't getting a nutritious breakfast. Like that is ridiculous. And no kid hungry is kind of helping us step into that gap. Um, that's at the macro why I feel like I do what I do is to really say, how can I help solve people's problems today at a personal and hopefully societal level? Um, I want to say this too. General Mills's core value for geez, a hundred years has been do the right thing all the time. And I think that has been such a draw for me to work at this company because it is very much oriented to like, this is not just about profit. There is a, a sense of um, altruism that has kind of been in this company from everything we do. Yeah, I, I love this notion that, well, <laughs> It's sort of a sad notion, but I it, the response is 
what I love. The fact that the, the, the private sector like now needs to step in for the greater good of the public citizen. Yeah, for sure. Right, right? and it, and if if the core value of the company from the get go is you know do the right thing all the time, then it also makes it easy to say how can we not make that investment and this that or the other. It, the overwhelming sadness is there's just it's there's just so many problems on the table they're not small uh, anti this anti that pro this uh, my wife's strategy and I don't blame her right now is just to not watch the news do I love that you just we could rebrand the news as the bad news and like that's kind of sadly what it is today so it's cool to hear that like at the core of the company it, it is about doing the right thing and like trying to make the world a little bit better and uh even if it's like haggadahs right like moderation or moderation but like feel good about yourself for a little bit and uh totally. so yeah by the way you gotta tell my girl uh, nicole Ayers, who i love please have my I best know, I... yeah i get to work with her a lot more now which is awesome she's so good all right so let's end on on like what do you think is like the number one if there was one courageous moment in your career like mm -hmm. epic gold medal courage for you. What's it been so far? And what made it courageous for you? It's a great question. Um, so when I, I've got kind of two answers for you. So the first one was, um, this is way back, but it was kind of the dawn of digital and shopper. And it was like, I had this opportunity and I will tell you, I boohooed in the bathroom. I went and cried my eyes out in the bathroom, but it was like, okay, you were going to go and you were going to immerse yourself. Um, this is probably like 2004. Like you were going to deeply immerse yourself in the world of like what we called at the time below the line advertising. It's like, you're going to do digital and shopper and that's, that's going to be your thing. And I, I was I think I was so afraid because I, and it was not a positive, like the healthy fear we were talking about. It was, I was just so afraid of becoming um, like just obsolete. Like that was not the cool stuff. That was like, I wanted to work on the big brand, high profile, above the line stuff. And I was so nervous, but I remember as I'm crying in the bathroom after I just told my boss, like, okay, no, this is great. I'll be great. And I was totally disingenuous. And like, yeah, I said, you know, I think that there is, I am going to find the opportunity in this, even though it feels lesser than I kind of promised myself at that, that moment that I was going to like really lean in to understanding the complexity and like of the, I, I remember calling it like the specific marketing, like the very specific marketing. And I think that was like a very personal moment of courage of like, um, Cause I, you know, I think you go through all the escape routes in your head, like, I'll just leave this job. I'll find something else to do that. And I was like, no, I'm going to seize this opportunity. And ultimately, if I reflect on that point in my career, that was a huge moment for me to take a very like strategic background and start to get really deep into like how one-on-one -on -one interaction, whether digital or in the store or wherever actually could be incredibly brand building and actually ladder up to the higher order. And so that was like a huge, um, huge kind of moment for me. Um, so that was one, you know, I would say the other one was something <laughs> we did it with uh, Lucky Charms. 
and Loki charms with Marvel. That had, I don't know if you're familiar, but we put Loki on the box in the place of Lucky. Loki is the mischievous villain uh, who exists within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He is beloved. He is Thor's brother. It's like this amazing thing. And I am a deep, deep Marvel nerd. I am uh, seen every movie multiple times. I can tell you the whole backstory. No one on my team knew anything, really. There were a few, but like about the MCU and the whole thing and and it was like, are we really putting Loki, this villain um, who exists in the Marvel universe and, and changing this box to say, it's not magically delicious, it's mischievously delicious because he is the God of mischief. And kind of saying to multiple people, luckily our CEO had just binged all the MCU movies with his daughter. So I was like, okay, at least he knows what's going yeah, on. That, that helps, like, that helps. Yeah, to, but to actually like, <laughs> like say, nope, this is, we're going to do this. This has been fan art for so long. Um, but to actually like step into that and say, we're putting this out in culture and Loki's going to be in the spot where Lucky is and create that box was like, just, it was, it was a, it was a recent, fairly recent moment of courage, but to say like, that's right. And now since we've done that, it's just become like more, we want more. Like what are other ways that we can like partner with different equities? We just have a, a Jurassic, uh, up all these opportunities to kind of hack our brands with other brands and culture so you dropped off on that last part just start pick, oh. up, pick up again from Sorry. so i'd start from like now they're asking for more to do more yeah and so since we've done that loki lucky uh mashup it's just so much asking for more like what are other equities what are other entertainment partners that we can mash up with you know we just did a jurassic world dominion partnership uh, that was available at Walmart. And there's just so many different ways that we can like let other brands hack our brands and vice versa, which I think has opened up a whole channel of cultural exploration for us. This is how it always goes. Like it's, it's, it's still about building trust, but like when you break a rule, that's been a rule for a long time and it's the right rule to break. And although you don't know it, so yeah. you try it, then it's like, it's like a snowball. And you know, I think it's always a choose your own adventure where look, fear breeds fear and you can feel certain companies where fear takes over and then it, it just spreads everywhere. But then like, like you said, in pockets, courage breeds courage. Then new rules have been created and the snowball for courage makes it easier to stay curious and experimental and try it again and again. It's a great story and a, a perfect one. Mm -hmm. Look, you know, General Mills has been around for a century and a half. There's 35,000 employees in the business. Somewhere in there, there's a Susan Pitt on her, early Susan Pitt on her path right now, trying to navigate big. She's got her fear. Go back to the story you shared earlier. Yeah. You know, and so for her, for for anyone li listening that's navigating fear or or opportunity what advice would you give them for how they take on their careers yeah it, it absolutely ties that story of like i think i thought i had my path plotted and i knew what kind of the control i had to take the, the steps that i wanted to take and i think as I, I kind of talk to my team about this all the time of like, 
embrace every opportunity. There's so much that you can learn if you choose to learn it. And I always say, you know, change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Those oper- those those things that might have felt like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to learn about this whole new thing. There's When you change the way you look at those things and look at them as like, how can I use this to grow and actually enhance um, kind of my perspective on this industry and, and my perspective on how to help people, uh, I think that you can always see um, the potential. And those those things always, when you look back, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm glad that happened. I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I said yes to that and not no to that. Um, so I think that's the, the premise of like, don't try to control it. Uh, allow yourself to kind of, to move with it with an attitude of anything that you give me to work on, I can find value in um, to make me smarter, braver, sharper, uh, more creative. Uh, so that, that's what I, that's the advice I would give. And, it, and do it. Yeah. It, it's great advice. Yeah, my, my takeaways for the episode, and I always kind of like to like, after all that show, kind of give a little tell. It's like, I love what you said about like, don't be afraid to let go, stay mm-hmm. open and experimental right mm-hmm. stop trying sure. to contr- stop trying to control everything and embrace the uncertainty um taking from what i learned about just general mills about do do the right thing all the time like have have yeah. a, cl- a clear and clean north star that you can always go back to and then say hey are we doing the right thing here or not mm-hmm. it's a decision tree moment and then I, I adored what you just said about change the way you look at things the things you look at mm-hmm. suddenly start to change and then obviously i'm gonna add in the shock of the day it's like yeah when you do all those things it puts you in a position to be courageous and to like stay mm-hmm. curious with what you do look it's one of the i guess 110 sunny days over there or, or 10 sunny days i'm yeah. not gonna i'm not gonna talk to the bouncer today about the weather i'm not i'm i'm say yeah <laughs> go we have our own our own weather thing but i so appreciate you giving me some of your time and i hope you'll come back and share a little bit more with us some ta- somewhere down the line but get outside it's 80 degrees go have fun over there yeah well thank you so much this is an honor to talk to you about this and appreciate all your insight so thank you thanks susan take care <laughs>